the Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Justin Briley, sitting down with Tom Wright once again to ask your questions. And the show is brought to you by Premier in partnership with SBCK and NT Wright Online. Uh, just a little way into the new year with our first show of 2020. Today's podcast hasn't dropped quite at the normal time because we were waiting until we had the ticketing open for the Unbelievable Conference 2020, which Tom Wright is going to be part of. So I'm going to tell you all about that in a moment's time. But uh, today's long-awaited show is uh, your questions about the charismatic gifts of the Spirit. So we'll see what Tom has to say in response to those. Uh, Someone left a message actually about the programme to say recently, several years ago, I left my faith for sceptical atheism and it almost tore my family apart. Tom Wright and Justin Briley have been instrumental in helping me rebuild my faith stronger than it was before. Well, we want to continue to provide a place for thinking Christians and seekers to engage with theological wisdom and biblical insight. So if you'd like to support the show in 2020, you can give at AskNTWrite.com. And as a thank you, we'll send you Tom's brand new Ask NT Write Anything ebook, 12 Answers to Questions About the Bible, Life and Faith. And thanks to all who have given so far. Again, if you want to give, the link is there at the website, Ask ntwrite.com. Also, that big news that we have finally opened the ticketing for Unbelievable the Conference 2020. It's on Saturday, the 9th of May in London. It's going to be a fantastic all-day conference, and as part of it, we've got a live audience edition of the Ask NT Write Anything podcast that we'll be recording. So if you want to be there both for the conference and of course the Ask NT Write Anything show that we'll be recording there, do get yourself booked in. It's available at unbelievable.live. That's where you need to go for the website. But there's links from the show page of the Ask NT Write Anything podcast as well. And our theme for this year's conference is how to tell the greatest story ever told very pleased to say that alongside Tom Wright we have none other than Tom Holland also joining the bill. Uh, Tom is the best-selling historian and author of Dominion, The Making of the Western Mind and he's been making uh, quite a splash in Christian circles recently with that particular book and his uh, take on the way that Christianity has fundamentally shaped our values, culture and traditions and uh, he's going to I'm sure have some fascinating interchanges with Tom Wright at this year's conference. Loads of other great guests on the lineup too. Sarah Lumger, Bobby Conway, Ruth Jackson, Jess Lester, and more to be announced. Our theme, the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And how can we best tell that life-changing story to a new generation of skeptics and seekers? So if you want to get yourself booked in for Saturday the 9th of May, go to unbelievable.live. All the link is right there at the askntwrite.com show page. And while you're there, make sure to sign up for all the usual good stuff, the newsletter, bonus content, prize draws, and of course, the chance to ask a question yourself. And why don't we hear some of those questions right now? So today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the charismatic gifts of the spirit. Quite a few people asking questions about this, Tom. But um, before we get into that, um, one thing many people love, uh, especially in the earlier episodes of the podcast, has been you pulling out the guitar occasionally <laughs> to give us a, a few tunes. Um, we haven't had as much opportunity recently nope. to do that. You've been in the middle of a very busy yeah. uh, change of your life right, moving right. to Oxford, and that's meant that uh, 
that being able to bring the guitar out has been a bit more difficult. But I, I at least know where my guitar is. It's <laughs> it's no longer in a loft inaccessibly. But and, <laughs> and I had mine restringed just in the hope that you would be able to play it this time, Tom. But God willing, I will. Mind. I will one one day work up another song or two. We'll see. We'll see. Well, so for those who are anxiously awaiting the next Tom <laughs> Tom Wright unplugged, don't worry. We will eventually get to doing some more. Uh, we won't leave you high and dry. Um, in any case, uh, in a sense, the, the charismatic movement. Has this is a rather tenuous link to, to, to talking about guitars, but there, there has been an extraordinary wave in the West mm. and well all over the world really of of um, a kind of charismatic emphasis in Christianity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, whether or not people think of themselves as charismatic, the, the songs they sing have often been part of that movement. Yeah. Have come yeah. out of that. Yeah. That yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, just the fact that many churches now do employ quite a contemporary band-led style of worship and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I would say has its roots mm-hmm. to a great degree in the charismatic renewal of the sort of sixties mm-hmm. and seventies and so on. Um, and so, before we get into some of these questions on uh, on this stuff, what, what's your general sort of look, looking back with your experience? What have you seen happen, particularly, I suppose, in your own Anglican mm-hmm. tradition when it comes to mm-hmm. the charismatic expression of the spirits, and even the fact that our, you know the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, it could be argued, mm-hmm. comes from that tradition sure, himself sure. through Holy Trinity sure, Brompton sure, and so on. Sure. Yes, I mean I I remember vividly in the late sixties when I was an undergraduate and uh, was part of the Christian Union in Oxford, and I, I come from a, a very middly middly Anglican background, but then through my teens that was strongly overlaid with with solid Bible teaching through Scripture Union and Scripture Union boys camps and so on. And I, I was very well taught, and I, I was quite well equipped at that stage through my teens. But I remember at one point, um, the, the 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 book that was sort of flavour of the month in about 1965-6 was David Wilkerson, um, mm. The Cross and the Switchblade. The and, the Switchblade yeah. um, and a lot of us read it eagerly. And mm. some of the people who were were teaching us at the time were saying, "Well, now just just be a little bit careful because." This guy's a crazy American Pentecostal, <laughs> and all sorts of weird things are happening. And yes, maybe maybe God had to do that in New York, but this probably doesn't happen in, in <laughs> sort of Newcastle or Oxford or <laughs> ordinary places like where we live. You know, the, please keep this one well under wraps. And then, of course, it didn't stay under wraps because in the late 60s and early 70s, there was an explosion of um, charismatic phenomena, including in many places that people hadn't expected in good, ordinary, um, middle class, but evangelical Anglican yes. circles. Mm. And the two Davids, David McInnes and David Watson, were, were the great leaders, mm. of, young leaders of mm. that. And David mm. Watson went off and became uh, rector or vicar of, of uh, um, St. St. Michael uh, the Belfry yes, in York. And, and David um, McInnes, St. Aldate. Well, he en- David ended yeah. up in St. Aldate's, followed Michael Green. Mm. And Michael Green himself was somebody who had come from that solid, old-fashioned evangelical background and had himself... Um, experienced a sort of charismatic Very definitely renewal, experienced yes, charismatic yeah. renewal. And he went off and ran St. John's College, Nottingham, which mm. then was very much a haven of, of, mm. of, of that. And many of us didn't know quite what to make of that in the uh, early 70s. Um, uh, but I remember gradually coming to terms with this, including when m- a member of my own family went off doing something and came back speaking in terms of, oh, my goodness, <laughs> this is getting a bit near the bone. Um, and... and but I remember some wise teaching from a lovely old theologian, John Wenham, who was in Oxford at the time, mm. um, who was very open to God doing all sorts of things, but said, let's not imagine that there is just one second blessing, that first you get converted, then you get baptized in the Spirit, and that's it. And that that was a very kind of mechanical point of mm. view 
And so once one had got over that hump, and God wants to go on blessing you every day in new ways and shouldn't think as just one stage, as it were. But likewise, that the gift of tongues shouldn't be regarded as the be-all and end-all, so that either you've had it and you are now one of the elite, or you haven't and you're a mere lowly mortal. It's quite clear in First Corinthians that Paul does not expect everybody to speak in tongues, um, and so on and so on. But these were the things that were terribly buzzy and, and worrying mm-hmm. because it hadn't been part of the normal experience. And indeed, some people said, and I think one of your correspondents has mentioned this, that some people think that the gifts were meant to stop at the right. end of the apostolic age. Well, can we yeah. come to yes, that yes, question? Because that, yes, that's absolutely. probably a good place to start because this is still a, obviously mm-hmm. a live mm-hmm. debate in mm-hmm. many parts of the church. Absolutely. And, and Matthew in uh, Tayport Fife says, uh, my question is about the Holy Spirit. I come from a tradition that holds a cessationist position. Mm-hmm. And um, for those who aren't familiar, that simply means people who believe that the, the charismatic gifts of the Spirit ceased with the closure of the New mm-hmm. Testament. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but Matthew says, I'm not entirely convinced that that position is demonstrated in Scripture. Uh, should we expect to see the Spirit acting as he does in the book of Acts today? Uh, are the gifts of the Spirit for us today? Uh, what is the biblical argument for cessationism? Does it stand up to scrutiny? I mean, we could do a, right. a whole set of shows on this. But, you you, you but, could, yeah. but I think I think the biblical argument for, for cessationism goes back to 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, um, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Mm. Uh, but he doesn't actually say when. Right. And it looks as though in that passage in 1 Corinthians 13, he's actually talking about the ultimate future and that in the present there are all mm. sorts of gifts which won't be necessary in the future and he's contrasting because we'll that will be known and just as we are fully known exactly yeah, yeah. exactly he's contrasting that with love which will be all the more important mm. in god's new creation um you know we won't stop loving in right. god's new creation but there are all sorts of things we won't need to do anymore and speaking in tongues will be one of them and i see speaking in tongues and i don't know whether um, some or all gifts of tongues are purely angelic tongues or purely different kinds of human tongues. I do know people, I have met people who have found themselves strongly led to speak in tongues on a crowded bus and somebody comes up to them and says, how come you speak fluent Hindustani or whatever it is? Mm. And, you know, I have no doubt that that happens. I have no reason to doubt the people who tell me it's happened, just like I have no reason to doubt the people who describe having been very sick in a particular way and then through prayer, God has remarkably and Mm. unexpectedly and inexplicably has healed them um god does all sorts of odd things and i i think there's a sort of christian fear and rationalism sometimes that doesn't want god Mm. to act in that way because it might sort of imply that we're short of something it's interesting i mean jason asked specifically on this question as well he's from ohio and says um what are your thoughts on the gift of tongues um and again mentions those who are cessationists with regards to Mm. that but Mm. says um Yet there seem to be early church writers that mention their continued demonstration among the Montanists and by Orthodox Christians like Tertullian. Um, And what about those who speak in tongues today? Um, And he mentions that uh, I actually had an interview with uh, my namesake, Justin Welby, Mm -hmm. um, in which he talked about speaking in tongues and using that as a way of of, of praying, essentially, in his private devotions. And, And Jason simply wants to know, well, what do you think of, of yes, that, that I, use of I, that, that's, what, that's where I am too. I, I, in 1986, I was leaving Montreal and was going to be coming back to Oxford as a college chaplain as well as a university lecturer. And I was quite nervous about that because I had been in academic work um, for several years and the thought of suddenly being plunged into a vivid little community um, where there were 
hundreds of people who would come to me for spiritual mm. counsel and help, and I wouldn't have a clue what to say to them. I remember sharing this with a cousin of mine who was, in a quiet way, a charismatic Christian in Canada, in Winnipeg. Um, and she said, well, it may well be that God will give you a gift like the gift of tongues. And she prayed with me, and the next thing I knew, I was praying in tongues. Right. Um, very startled. This wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> I hadn't known when I was going to stay with this cousin that any <laughs> such thing was on the agenda at all. Right. But she was absolutely right that the many, many times, that was 1986, so 30 years ago and plus, um, when I have needed to pray into a particular situation but have actually no, I have had no idea of a specific thing that I ought to be praying for. Now, Paul says something like that in Romans 8. We don't know what to pray mm -hmm. for, but the Spirit prays within us. Yes. Um, I'm not sure that in Romans 8 he's talking about praying in tongues, though some people have said that. I have a PhD student who's working on that very question as we speak. Right. Um, but uh, be that as it may, I have found on many, many, many occasions that the use of tongues in private prayer, I've never exercised this gift in public, I have mm. no particular desire to, mm. um, has enabled me to hold people and situations within the love of God right. in a way which for some reason seems to be different from just saying, I pray for so-and-so. Um, and I'm just content with that. And, and um, for those who haven't had that experience, that doesn't make you a, a more superior no, no. Prayer, person of, of prayer of course, to them. Of course not. Of course <laughs> not. No, 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 no. Um, and indeed, some of the most prayerful people I know would be in quite other traditions, like, mm. say, the Russian Orthodox or whatever, mm. where they seem to be able, through their traditions, to go into a prayer space, which is different again. Right. And fine, hallelujah, they have their problems, we have our problems. I, I resist any kind of elitism mm, that says, mm. oh, they're the real, they're the real deal and the rest of us are just yeah. paddling around. So, so, yes, tongues is a great gift. It's not given to everybody, but I find for certain purposes it's, it's really just, significant. Just, just to quickly sort of wrap up the cessationist piece as well, mm, I mean, mm. when I've hosted debates on that particular issue, one of the criticisms from the cessationists has been the idea that, well, if prophecy and tongues and so on uh, are for today then that effectively means we're adding to the canon of what god has said yeah, uh, yeah, these yeah. are these it's, you're it's, putting them on a par with the with words scripture. of scripture it, and and that can be done and that sometimes has been done and that's very very dangerous um it's rare in my life that people have had words of prophecy which are specifically and sort of dramatically this is what god is saying mm -hmm. to you there have been rare occasions when that has actually been the case, and Maggie and I have had to say, oh, my goodness, this mm -hmm. looks as though this is a real word from the Lord. But no, I'm not sort of binding that up with Scripture. Mm. Um, I'm saying God is good and God is gracious and God can do that. But, of course, at every point, we are trying to be scripturally formed Christians mm. who then discern different words that can be as spoken. As we're asked to in Scripture. As we're asked to in Scripture. And it's perfectly possible, as you've, and very interestingly, in the Acts of the Apostles, when Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, various people are saying to him in the spirit, mm. don't you dare go mm. to Jerusalem, it's mm. going to be bad news. And Paul says, actually, this is what I have to do. And so he doesn't say that those people were demon-possessed. Mm. He says they were speaking in the spirit, but they told Paul not right. to go to Jerusalem, and Paul went and so did. there's something anyway. a little bit different about that kind of yep. revelation yep. as opposed yep. to, as, yep. as yep. it were, the uh, and, and uh, it, it is a matter of discernment. Mm. 
And that takes wisdom. It takes often a community or at least a fellowship of prayer of people gathering around and praying together and then a corporate wisdom. The, the danger with our modern individualism is we think we, we've, we've got to do it all ourselves. Mm, and mm. the answer is no, we're given the church to be the, the body of Christ. The Ask N.T. Write Anything podcast is brought to you by Premier in partnership with SBCK and N.T. Write Online. And N.T. Write Online are offering a new free ebook from Tom, From Hypocrisy to Compromise to Faithfulness. It's the story of Acts 15 and explores how the early church transitioned from a predominantly Jewish messianic movement into something new that the world had never seen. Learn the story behind this pivotal moment in church history with this new free ebook from Tom Wright. Get it now at ntwriteonline.org slash askntwrite. That's ntwriteonline.org forward slash askntwrite. A um, couple of questions on signs and wonders and, mm. and that, mm-hmm. how that's supposed to be used in the furtherance of the kingdom. Um, David in Middleton, Manchester says in John 14, Jesus says that those who believe in him will do the things that he did and even greater things. What do you suppose these greater things might be and where do we actually see them happening? And uh, Dr. David Bryant in Richmond um, wants to focus in on a very specific verse, um, says, I'm a big fan of Gordon Fee's book, Paul, the Spirit and the People of God. And in it, he highlights the assumption that Paul would use signs and wonders in his proclamation of the gospel. He references Romans 15, verse 19 Mm -hmm. to support Mm -hmm. this. I was very keen to look up Tom's view on this and turn to my copy of (laughs) Romans for Everyone, part two, only to find he comments on verse 18 and 20 (laughs) and not 19. Would you be so kind to ask Tom to fill in the oh, gap? Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. Well, let, let's start with, yes, yes, with yes. David's question there yes. about Romans 15, verse 19. Perhaps yep. you could read yep. it for us in well, your it's, translation. It's, here it is <clears throat> from verse 18. It says, Far be it from me, you see, to speak about anything except what the Messiah has accomplished through me for the obedience of the nations in word and deed, 19, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of God's Spirit. I've completed announcing the good news of the Messiah from Jerusalem round as far as Illyricum. Um, yeah, uh, apologies that in that rather short commentary, <laughs> I wasn't able to comment you on can't every comment verse every in, every verse no, in Romans. But I would link that as well with uh, 1 Corinthians, where Paul is talking about um, God's commission to him to preach the gospel, not in showy words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be emptied of its power. And when he's talking about power, I do think he's talking about the fact that as he's talking about the crucified Messiah and him being now the Lord of the world, this lordship of Jesus is demonstrated in the fact that people get healed and that long-time idolaters um, burn their books of magic or whatever. That certainly was going on in, in Ephesus as well. And likewise in Galatians chapter 3, when Paul um, says, the, 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 the one who does mighty deeds among you, um, how does that happen? The one who gives you the Spirit and performs mm. powerful deeds, does he do this through your performance of Torah or through hearing and believing? So it looks as though Paul is assuming that when the gospel is preached, stuff will happen. People will get healed. Now, clearly from Elsewhere in Paul, this isn't automatic. It doesn't happen all the time. When, uh, uh, what's his name, comes to from, from Philippi to Paul, um, bearing, uh, bearing gifts, um, Epaphroditus, he gets sick when he's with Paul. Mm. And Paul says, 
But God had mercy on him and on me as well, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. He doesn't say, so naturally I prayed for him and he he, he got healed. It's as though it remains a mystery Mm. for Paul. And uh, and likewise, there are many things which remain a mystery. Mm. He doesn't have it, have it on tap. And sometimes, like in his painful visit to Corinth, um, insofar as we can probe into that, it looks as though he came to Corinth expecting to be able to do the usual stuff. Uh, and and they, they rejected him, and he had to run back to Ephesus with his tail between his legs. And, and much, much as Jesus also wasn't able to do everything. I was about to, to say, yes. in Nazareth, when mm. Jesus went back home, he couldn't do much there because of their unbelief. There was a hardness of heart. And it's as though the signs and wonders seem to depend upon particular receptivity in the circumstances. Now, that's a very dangerous mm. thing to say mm. because I have been with Christians who've said, um, we prayed for so-and-so to get well, and they didn't. So what hindered our prayers? Right. Uh, what secret sin are you yes. hoarding or am I? Yes. And the answer is no, it, it's not that easy. Mm. Um, and we all try to, because we all have a bit of guilt sloshing mm. around in our mm. background, we all try to think, oh, maybe there's something wrong in me. And if I could only put that right, maybe this would work. Or, or indeed um, the person who's being prayed for thinking, oh, I obviously don't have enough faith. And exactly. So on. Yes. And, and you have known and I have known mm. of dear, good Christian people, faithful people mm. who've got sick and people have prayed for them and they've died and their families have prayed for them mm. and they've still died. And there is so the danger with all of this is that we try to use what you might call charismatic phenomena of one sort or another as a way of making life more simple Mm. uh, uh, and reducing the complexity of life to, ah, we've now got the supernatural agency, zap, that's it. Yeah. And it doesn't work like that. Because Paul, while he saw many miracles, also suffered shipwrecks, beatings. Of course, of course. Eventual martyrdom. Absolutely. Uh, It's not not the ticket to an easy life. No, no, exactly, Um, exactly. And, and, you know, I've often said to people, think of James and John in the Acts of the Apostles, the the, the sons of thunder and uh, uh, so on. In Acts chapter 12, it begins with James, the brother of John, being killed with the sword because Herod thinks it's time to start lopping Mm. some heads off here. Um, And then Peter gets put in jail, and then the church is praying for Peter, and he gets a get-out-of-jail-free ticket. Now, if I was James's mother, I wouldn't like Acts 12. You know, excuse me, why didn't God do that for myself? I was praying Mm. for him. Mm. And I think one of the many things that Acts 12 teaches us is that it remains a mystery. You know, I think of people that I've known who are wonderful people, fine Christians. It was just just the other day. There's that lovely Christian couple who ran Aroche in yes, in France, yes, who were killed in a red accident in South Africa. Yeah. Um, I have a nephew uh, who, with his wife, worked very closely mm. with them in France, mm. and they're absolutely devastated. Why? We have no means of knowing. Mm. Um, so, yes, God does do extraordinary things. But yes, life remains mysterious, and we shouldn't use the fact that God sometimes really does do extraordinary miracles of healing as a way of beating each other up about faith or lack thereof. We've got more questions here uh, on on some of these issues. Um, Lincoln is uh, in Adelaide, Australia, and says, What does listening to the Holy Spirit look like practically? Should a Christian seek to hear the voice of the Spirit apart from Scripture at all? I grew up in a Pentecostal church and now attend a more conservative Baptist church. And I've never quite been able to resolve what listening to the Holy Spirit really is. I don't want to rely too much on my feelings, but I believe there is room for more than simply relying on the written text if the Spirit lives within us. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think 
it's taken for granted or should be taken for granted that serious Christians are seriously soaked in Scripture and that that's where we start. Mm. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that on particular occasions God doesn't want to say to us Scripture-soaked people, actually, there's something rather curious I want to get through here mm. and, and here's how it goes. I think every day in our praying we ought to open ourselves to the Holy Spirit while being Scripture-soaked yeah. people. And it isn't. No, I, I understand that somebody faced with crazy charismatic excesses, where the Bible is left behind because we're waiting for the new word right. from the Lord, um, somebody would react to that by saying, "No, no, no! The Bible is the Bible yeah. is the Bible," um, because in the history of the church there have been many times when people have quietly pushed the Bible to one side, and maybe not immediately, but maybe in six months or six years or. 25 years or whatever, somebody from within that movement says that the Spirit is now leading me to abandon my marriage and go off and do mm -hmm. something else or whatever. In other words, to do something which quite clearly is not in line with Scripture. But if you've cut loose from Scripture, you open yourself to that. Mm. It happened with the so-called holiness movement 100, 120 years ago. It's one of the reasons why the intervarsity movement in Britain became very wary of charismatic phenomena, because the old Keswick movement in the 19th century mm. did go into a phase of opening ourselves to the Spirit and then whatever comes out seems is, to be yeah. god seems to be telling us and frankly the the human capacity for self-deception runs very very deep and once you cut loose from scripture it's always possible to hear quote unquote mm. jesus or the spirit say of course i i, mm. I now want you to do this mm. which is something that scripture would ab absolutely forbid and and so i understand that reaction but let's then bring it back to yeah. a balance yeah. um, and, and i very yeah. often find that <laughs> there is that sort of dichotomy very often in the church so you've got you know hmm. Hmm. your e evangelical charismatics on one side and you've got your conservative mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. evangelicals on the other and and it, it's a shame when yep. one party sort of says no you can't I, have any of that I, stuff I totally and the other agree. party sort of i totally agree i mean in the late 60s and early 70s when i was an undergraduate we had christian unions in the great universities in this country which were in today's terms, a broad church, and that you had the more conservatives and the Baptists and the Anglicans and the Charismatics and the this and that. And we all basically mm. muddled along together. I was sad when my children went to university to find that they basically had to choose yes, between are yes. you going to be a conservative conservative yeah. or are you going to be a charismatic? Yeah. Um, we shouldn't have to make those choices. Mm. Um, I, think, I think inevitably in the pews, there's a lot of people who are yeah. somewhere in between. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. just that one distinctive mm, mm, tends mm, to be preached mm. from the front. Um, no, absolutely. And and I want to say precisely because I take the Bible extremely seriously and precisely because I take the Holy Spirit extremely seriously, we need a richer, larger – and a lot of this comes down to personalities. And I know we all laugh about these different things, whether it's the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs or whatever, mm. and they can be abused, of course. Mm. However – Knowing that I have a particular kind of personality that naturally inclines me to be this way around is really helpful when I recognize that lots of people don't have that personality. Yes. And it's back to the heart, mind, soul, mm, strength mm. people. Um, that that um, uh, When I was Bishop of Durham, one of the things that I used as a way of getting to know parishes was to explore with them. Now, loving God, heart, mind, soul, and strength, where, where do you think you are on that? Because the really interesting churches are the ones that are trying to do at least three of those and possibly even four. 
Mm. But it's it's actually quite difficult, and people will gravitate towards a church which is more heart and soul and and so mm. on, and leaving the mind behind, and we leave the social action to yeah, those liberals yeah. or the politicians. Mm. Other churches are very much. Um, mind and strength. We've thought this thing through. This is what the kingdom of God means in this parish. And don't give us that fluffy stuff where you're sitting around lighting candles and saying om all the time. (laughs) We're just not into that. And I want to say, for goodness sake, recognize one another and learn from one another and grow together into a more mature Mm. totality of Christian expression in life. Um, One final one. And I don't know how familiar you'll be with this movement, but Michael in Harrogate in North Yorkshire says, uh, as someone who's mostly been influenced by the charismatic stream of Christianity, I notice a lot of common ground between your teaching and the emphasis of the charismatic church, uh, particularly in your emphasis on God's primary, primary method of bringing about change, being through the hands of his people, compared with, for example, the teaching of On Earth as in Heaven from Bill Johnson at Bethel. Uh, is there a synergy there as your audience receives your message gladly, but from a different demographic? Now, I don't know if the names Bill Johnson and Bethel mean anything to I'm you. I'm afraid Tom. no. Okay, the, okay. The, 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 can well, you enlighten well, me on that? Um, Bethel Church uh, is based in a, um, a Reading in California, Northern California, okay, okay. and Bill Johnson sort of heads that up. And they've been very influential. It's a very charismatic church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's especially its emphasis on signs and wonders mm-hmm. and um, and what Michael goes on in this question to, to mention, uh, which uh, he says some sometimes they've been accused of having an over realized eschatology, mm-hmm. i.e. the idea mm-hmm. that we, we can see all of our, mm-hmm. um, you know, problems or physical ailments and so on um, brought brought by Jesus to some kind of completion. And uh, and a lot of people, you know, think this is wonderful and this is the future of the church and others are very wary of this idea that it's all it can all be made better in the here and now sort of thing yeah yeah now yeah, i may yeah, be yeah, i'm probably yeah. not doing justice no. to to either bill johnson or bethel as a whole but but it's let me just say that it's it's a movement within the charismatic church which has divided people right right, right. no i mean uh, I, I would always want to stress a now and not yet. And in many churches, I would want to stress, you need some more of the now. Thank you very much. Right. And in others, I would say, hang on, hang on. There is a not yet. Yes. Um, God does extraordinary things. I've I heard true stories from people I know and respect and, and, and love, which I, I won't even try to repeat here because people will say, oh, Tom Wright's really lost it now because that sort of thing doesn't happen. Mm. All sorts of extraordinary things do happen. However... Uh, death happens, suffering happens, road accidents happen to, to, to good Christian people, etc., etc. We are still in the not yet, mm-hmm. and we have to hold those two together. Otherwise, we are going to make shipwreck one way or another. People are going to be um, deceived into thinking mm-hmm. that nothing bad will ever happen to them. Um, and and real life consists, real Christian life consists in holding on to those things in the presence of God. And here's something which I have been thinking about a lot recently, really since I did the Gifford Lectures which plays exactly into this that in I mentioned it in an earlier podcast in Genesis 6 the evil wickedness of people in the days of Noah grieved God to his heart the idea of God grieving is very interesting it seems to me that one of the things that's going on when God calls Abraham and his family and when in the story of Israel God inspires the Psalter is that God dwelling in the midst of his people God is not just seeking to remedy the evils of the world, but God is grieving at the heart of the world's pain. And that goes all the way into Romans 8, where the Spirit groans within us. This is God's 
grief, and we in the church are not called to be triumphalistic and to have left grief behind. Our laments by the Spirit are ways in which the grief of God, the sorrow of the Spirit, is uh, living within the world. I find that really profound and important. And I would want to say to anyone who's emphasizing the Holy Spirit and, and the gifts of the Holy mm. Spirit, um, what are you doing about the grief and the sorrow? Mm. Because that mm. is part of what the Holy Spirit's present ministry is all about. Um, so it's not just we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. As we do that in the Spirit, God is rejoicing with them and God is weeping along with them. And unless our view of God is big enough for that, then maybe we are in danger of creating an idol. Great stuff. Thank you very much. Um, the time always flies by and it has on this <laughs> occasion too. Um, but um, I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to all sorts of these sure. issues in the future. But for the moment, thank you very much, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. Next time, we'll be answering your questions on marriage. If you do enjoy the show, tell others about it. Give us a rating and a review on your podcast provider as well. Helps others to discover the show. And don't forget, Tom's with us for a live audience edition of this show at Unbelievable 2020 on Saturday, the 9th of May in London. How to tell the greatest story ever told. Find out more at askntright.com. You can also find giving links there too and you can receive the free ebook from the show plus get subscribed for the newsletter bonus content and all our regular prize draws and of course the chance to ask a question yourself for now thanks for being with us and see you next time You've been listening to the Ask NT Write Anything podcast. Let other people know about this show by rating and reviewing it in your podcast provider. For more podcasts from Premier, visit premier.org.uk slash podcasts.